We are live from the great state of Tennessee. I'm your host, Patrick Simpson, and this is Paranoia, podcast where we break down conspiracy theories and unsolved mysteries and separate fact from fiction. Now, this week's story of the week is not really a story of the week. It's more of a mini conspiracy of the week. Basically, we're going to do a mini episode before the main episode. Something that I've, it's a very popular conspiracy theory, not worth dedicating the entire episode to because it's more than likely not true, but it's still something for interesting to look into. Most of you probably heard this. If not, then I guess you have your mind blown. But over the past, things have been like three, four years now, there's been the growing mini conspiracy theory that the singer Avril Lavigne, now if you're younger, you may not know who that is. The people, definitely people my age, definitely people a little bit older know who Avril Lavigne is from the early 2000s. There is the conspiracy that she is no longer with us. And the woman you see now that is Avril Lavigne is actually an imposter. So basically, this is what happened. In 2003, Avril Lavigne's grandfather passed away. During this time, she was growing in fame, dealing with the struggles of being famous, the things that come with that, the loss of her grandfather. She went into a really deep, dark depression, and she would later be found dead at her home. And basically, it was covered up to keep quiet. She had a doppelganger by the name of Melissa Vandela, and they were actually friends. And basically, she was using... She was stressed and tired, you know, always having to make appearances. And so she basically had made friends with her doppelganger so that, you know, she would do the performances, but small appearances, she would get this Melissa chick to go do for her. So when Avril Lavigne basically committed suicide, the label hired Melissa chick to take over as the, quote, real Avril Lavigne. Now, if you really want to go down this rabbit hole, you'll get stuck in this rabbit hole forever. But there are side-by-side pictures of the old Avril Lavigne and current Avril Lavigne. And there's a lot of different things as far as like birthmarks are in on their arms are in different places. The shapes of their nose is different. The forehead, the eye shape. Like there's just so many small details that you just think are small, but then when you circle them and realize they're different, you realize that is something's definitely off. But she is famous, and plastic surgery and all those things are a thing. So I mean, it's a pretty logical. And she get older. She get older. I mean, this was 2003, 2020. As you get older, your face does change. So it seems like a pretty logical explanation. But when you look at the like the moles and the birthmarks and things that don't change, it makes you a little skeptical. I don't even know what the explanation would be for that. I don't. I mean, I'm not going around saying this theory is true. But if you look at some of these side by side pictures, sometimes you look at them and you're like, I don't know. Maybe these people, maybe these people are onto something. Like I said, I'm not really on this one, but it's a rabbit hole if you don't know about to go look into. And there's a lot of, in her music leading up to and right after, 
there's a lot of really dark songs and lyrics. And I mean, she could have just been going through something. It doesn't really mean anything. But there's songs such as My Happy Ending, Nobody's Home, Under My Skin, just dark, deep, dark type songs that make you think something was going on. Like I said, people go through depression. People just write songs that are dark. doesn't mean that they're actually going to do something to themselves. And of course, Avril Lavigne, if that's what we're going to call her, has come out, of course, and said that this is just absolutely insane and this isn't true. And she kind of kind of laughs it off. But of course, she would do that. Another thing I also meant to say, um, a picture prior to 2003, which I guess is really what filled these conspiracy theories, is that there's a picture of Avril Lavigne and on her hand, she has the words written Melissa. Why? Could mean anything. I mean, celebrities are weird people. Just because you have your the word Melissa written on your hand doesn't really mean anything. But like I said, if you really want to go down this wormhole, you can convince yourself that something is off. And like I said, Hollywood is a very weird place. It's a very creepy place. There's something going on in Hollywood. That's another day for another episode. Something weird going on in Hollywood. So you never know. Like I said, I'm not going around saying this theory is true, but if you want a nice little fun rabbit hole today, go ahead and look at the comparisons and hit me up on Twitter and let me know what you think about that. But for now, let's go ahead and dig into the actual episode for this week. legend, the goat, the best that they ever did it. There's a lot of things that people called them. Even if you weren't alive back then or really young back then, you still understand the influence that he had and still has today. You still hear his music at the bars, on TV, and movies. He's an icon that will likely still be known and heard 50 plus years from now. But on September 7th, 1996, the world was blown off their feet. Tupac Shakur was shot in Las Vegas and eventually died a week later. Though we probably have a pretty good idea who did it, the case was never officially solved and is still actually cold to this day. But the question at hand is, how does a murder of someone that popular go unsolved? How does someone like that get killed on the Las Vegas Strip with tons of eyewitnesses that not only saw the car, but saw the person that pulled the trigger. Some believe that police corruption is to blame. Some believe his own friends are to blame. And some believe that a murder never happened at all. At this time, the wounds are life-threatening, but serious, not, not in, in critical condition at this time. And the uh, person, as you are already aware, who was the passenger in this vehicle is a known uh, rap performer by the name of Tupac Shakir.
So everything starts at the MGM Hotel in Vegas, where legendary boxer Mike Tyson had just finished his dominating fight. He won his fight in less than two minutes, which is something that honestly happened a lot back then. Tupac and his entourage attended the fight, but on the way out, they ran into Orlando Baby Lane Anderson, a member of the rival gang who a couple of months earlier had tried to rob one of the members of their entourage. So when Tupac saw him, he went and started a confrontation, eventually punching him to the ground. That's when him, Sugar Knight, and their entire entourage jumped Anderson right there. And this is all pretty undisputable. It's all caught on the MGM security cameras. No police is nearby, so they get away without any trouble. And they're getting ready to head to 662 Club. But first, they made a 30-minute pit stop at Suge Knight's home. Now, if you don't know, Suge Knight is the head of Death Row Records, which is the label that Tupac was a part of. And based on rumors, this is a guy you don't want to be on the wrong side of. It's just something to keep in mind. At 11 p.m., their car was stopped by a Las Vegas police on bike patrol. They were cited for playing their music too loud and not having a license plate. They eventually found the license plate in the trunk and were allowed to let go. At 11.10, they stopped at a red light and flirted with the car next to them, which had two women in it. Tupac rolled his window down, put his head out the window, and started talking to them, flirting with them, basically. Being on a busy Las Vegas block, obviously tons of people were all around and noticed that it was him. Women started screaming his name, which drew attention to the vehicle that Tupac was in. It was then at 11.15 that a white four-door Cadillac pulled up to them and fired 12 shots into the car. We don't exactly know what happened to all the bullets, but we do know that Tupac was hit four times. Two in the chest, one in the arm, and one in the thigh. And one of the shots to the chest did hit one of his lungs. So Suge Knight was driving the car and proceeded to drive about another mile before being pulled over by the cops again. And that is when they alerted them that someone, Tupac, in the back seat was shot and needed emergency assistance. And we wonder why they didn't just escort him to the hospital, but apparently, I guess, their vehicle had a flat tire. So they waited there for the paramedics to arrive. And then from there, they took him to the hospital. Something that is really interesting that maybe a lot of people don't know that if you haven't digging into the case, is that Tupac was actually aware of what was going on. He allegedly told the medics that he was dying. And at the hospital, they put him in a medically induced coma because he kept trying to get out of the bed. He stayed in the hospital for six days where he eventually died from cardiac arrest after they removed his lungs. His mother was the one to make the call to take him off of life support. Now, obviously, there's a lot, a lot to dissect here. There's so much more that goes into this story. I mean, it's hard to just do one episode on this. Probably should have did two, but it's too late now. But this is something you could talk about. I could probably make like a four-hour episode about this. But hopefully I gave you enough information just to give you a quick synopsis of what happened that night. Now, the first question at hand is the actual investigation. The investigation went cold really quickly for a couple of reasons. First, there was a lack of cooperation from Tupac's supposed friends. Sugar Knight, who was also in that hospital after getting hit in the head by shrapnel, was released on September 8th, 
but yet he didn't talk to the police until September 11th, and he could not provide them with any kind of information. And then, but there were others that had claimed to saw something but could not speak because of street code, which, like I said, in the world of gangs, the uh, whatever you call them, that's the one thing you do not do, regardless of if it's your friend, your enemy, anything. One one thing you don't do in the world of gangs is snitch. So a lot of people that were there in the entourage and the cars behind, they didn't come forward, even though they probably likely saw exactly who did it. Can't come forward because you can't be a snitch. But there were those that were willing to help, but the police did not seem eager to hear from them. In early 1997, two witnesses went on TV and said that they clearly saw the men that were in the car that shot Tupac. And though they told the police they were never asked for a sketch or given any photos of possible suspects. Now, that could be part of a larger conspiracy that the police were a part of. Or they just likely saw this as gang violence and just honestly didn't care enough to put the time and energy into solving it. But one thing is clear. If they wanted to solve this case, they could have and probably rather easily. Now, keep in mind, we're talking about Las Vegas at night after a Mike Tyson fight. I don't know if you've ever been to Vegas before, but this ain't just something you can just roll down the strip and just get from point A to point B in like a minute. They were likely stuck behind other cars and definitely got stopped at a couple of streetlights. So with an extensive search, you probably could have found enough witnesses to get a license plate, half of a license plate, a description. I mean, something. But they didn't do any of this at all. So it's no surprise that the case went cold very quickly. So we, the people, have to solve this ourselves. Now, one of the more popular theories is that Suge Knight either set it up or helped it happen. First off, we have to look at why they stopped at his house for 30 minutes before going to the club. Now, obviously, first thought is they wanted to change into something different, maybe freshen up after the fight or just go grab something they forgot, grab money for a strip club. I mean, there's a bunch of things. People run home all the time. There's a lot of explanations. But if you're on the anti-Suge Knight bandwagon, people believe it was a setup to get the timing right for the hit. In addition, 14 shots were fired into the car, coming to the driver's side, and Suge Knight was the one driving. We know that four hit Tupac, but we don't know what happened to the other 10 shots. Seeing that they got a flat tire, I would assume one maybe hit the tire. I don't know. Obviously, a lot of them likely missed or just hit the door and didn't hit anybody. But some wonder how the guy sitting in the driver's seat did not get hit with anything other than a bullet casing. The guy you would think that the guy shooting would likely want to take him out, too, since he's, quote, friends with Tupac. And like I said, Suge Knight was a gangster. If he stepped on my shoes, I would apologize to him. He wasn't the type of guy to play with. So that reputation doesn't really help his case in this situation. And honestly, growing up, I was a part of this bandwagon for a long time just because this is what people older than me always told me. So I just thought that was the thing. And while there is a chance maybe he knew something was up, something was coming, I don't think he was the grandmaster of this plot. Now, there's also was growing speculation that Biggie Smalls, also known as the Notorious B.I.G., was involved. There was never any evidence to support this, but they were in a feud prior to this, and they were both big names and part of the 
gang lifestyle. So it's just a bad look that your enemy gets killed while you're in the middle of a feud. But from everything I've seen in my research, all signs do point to him being clear in this situation. But then again, this is a conspiracy theory podcast, so you always have to leave your mind open to any kind of situation. Now, of course, and in this situation, I think it actually is the simplest solution. And the simplest solution is that the killer was Orlando Anderson, the man who they jumped after the Mike Tyson fight. He was just mad and wanted to get payback. He himself denied any involvement, but he was killed not too much later in a drug-related shooting. So we don't really get anything else from him other than a quick denial. But his uncle, who claims he was in the car with him that night, says that he handed his nephew the gun in the back seat and that his nephew, Orlando Anderson, is the one that fired the shots. Despite this, the police did not do anything with this information, and they still continue to keep the case open. Now, this is just the skeptic in me. I think, okay, well, since Anderson is dead, it's pretty easy to just pin the shooting on him because he's the one that got beat up. But what if the uncle, and by the way, the uncle goes by Kefa D, Kefi D? I don't know. Let's go with Kefi D. That sounds better. But what if he's the one that actually did it to avenge his little nephew? It's not a completely illogical thought. Because the only person we have that is still alive is this guy. So he basically can say whatever he wants. And keep in mind, out of this, he ended up writing a book, got a documentary, went on like every single TV station. So he was able to make money off of this. So basically, if you did this, you can just recount everything you did, say that your nephew did it, and no one will even question it. Well, no one except for me, obviously. But... It's an answer that we honestly will never truly get unless he just wakes up one day and decides to really tell us more of the truth. All we really got is what he said so far. But wait, there's more. That's just a tiny part of the conspiracy. Yes, people want to know exactly who killed him, but then there's an entirely different cult all the way on the other side of the spectrum that thinks he's still alive today. And there's some reasons for that. Two months after his death, a record was released from Tupac's archives, except it wasn't listed under his rapper named Tupac. It was listed under Machiavelli, which was a nickname he adopted after an Italian political science. And this guy wrote about how to fake his own death. In addition, the album cover was featured with Tupac hanging from a cross, like Jesus from the Bible. And we know in that story, he ended up resurrecting from the dead a couple of days later. Now, the big thing that fuels multiple conspiracies is his cremation. Suge Knight claims that he paid someone $3 million to cremate Tupac's body only one day after he was pronounced dead. This man, who I guess was a professional cremator, whatever that even means, retired from cremating immediately after he finished this job. Now, after $3 million, maybe you don't want to cremate anymore. Maybe no conspiracy behind this. He just got $3 million and he's like, I'm not burning people anymore. That could be it. But this couldn't feel the theory that Suge Knight was behind it and wanted to get rid of the body as soon as possible. 
Or it can also feel the theory that he was in on the cover up and that Tupac is still alive and he knows it. Another very small thing is that Tupac's 1996 driver's license stated that he was 5'10, 158. But the man that is listed in the coroner's report is 6'215. Now, the explanation for that is that most of us aren't the height and weight as our driver's license. I know I'm nowhere close to the weight that it says. But looking at Tupac in his final days, or anytime you've seen Tupac as an adult, it's hard to say he was 215 pounds ever. I mean, he was a really skinny guy. But nevertheless, this is something that a lot of people cling on to. Just small little things that don't add up, don't make sense. Now, there are like 500, probably more. It's like a thousand different Tupac sightings that you can Google. It's been seen with Beyonce, it's been seen with the Grammys, a bunch of madness that more than obviously is not true. So I'm not going to waste my time with all that. But the one I am going to focus on is Suge Knight, the man who was in the car with him. Two years ago, he did an interview from jail and lit a fire for conspiracy theorists all across the world. I died. If he really did. <laughs> if he really died. What do you mean by that? I mean, when I left that hospital, me and Pac was laughing and choking. So I don't see how somebody can turn from doing well to doing bad. So you and seriously think that he might still be alive? I'm going to tell you this, Pac, you never know. Oh, there you go. Again, like I said, at the hospital, Tupac was well enough to where he had to be sedated because he kept trying to get out of the bed. So when Suge Knight last saw him there, he seemed like he was going to make it. Then all of a sudden, on day six, he's just dead. Now, that is how some injuries do work. Cardiac arrest can happen at any time, and a person that can seem okay can suddenly regress really bad in one day. It's science. It happens. It's a thing. But if the man who was in the car with him thinks there's a chance, then maybe there really is a chance. There's a photo that's supposedly from 2004 that clearly shows Suge Knight, but who he's talking to is not clear. All you can see is the back of someone's head, and you can also see the side of their head, and it does look a lot like Tupac. And this was supposedly, like I said, in Cuba in 2004. But still... As much of a conspiracy theorist as I am, as much as I want to believe everything I hear, you have to be skeptical. I'm as said, I'm as big a conspiracy theorist as there can be. But the plan to get out of the hospital where there's tons of news crews are, then to get to some airport, then to get in some private jet, private airplane to get to Cuba would have had to have been like an Ocean's Eleven intense, super crazy, elaborate type plan. But then again, when you're absolutely filthy rich, anything is possible. So maybe he's resting peacefully underneath the ground right now. Or maybe, just maybe, he's off the grid, waiting for his time to return and shock the world. That is it for the story behind the death of Tupac Shakur. Really hope you enjoyed this episode. As always, you can follow me on Twitter at underscore Patrick Simpson. 
Would love to get your input on this. What do you think? Is he dead? Is he hiding? Who killed him? Should Knight behind it? Is Biggie behind it? I don't care what your conspiracy theories, what your theory is. I love hearing them all. So we're not gonna agree on everything. I just love hearing different type of ideas. So please, if you have Twitter, go ahead and share that. I say this every week, but I promise eventually I'm gonna get Instagram back up. I know a lot of people don't really actively use Twitter. So I'm gonna try, try this week to get my Instagram back up. But for now, Twitter is my main point of contact. If you haven't subscribed, go ahead and subscribe so you can get the episode as soon as they drop. If you're on Apple or iTunes, I'd appreciate it if you could leave an honest review. It really helps me get seen. Community slowly growing, and I really appreciate all of you listening. And as always, we'll be back next Monday with a very new episode. My name is Patrick Simpson, and this is Paranoid.